Welcome into this week's edition of AWA Unleashed. My name is Chris Tubbs. I am one part of the uh, three-man band, the six-man tag team champs, as uh, George and Mick would like to say. Um, Similar to last week, if you're listening to this in the audio-only platform off of uh, an, uh, an Apple or an iTunes, Spotify, you know, Pandora, whatever. This is a little bit different because last week we had part one of the interview with Polish Joe Chupik, who is a cameraman and a former producer uh, at the AWA for several years. And the, the interview was so good. It was so fascinating. As I like to say, there was a lot of meat on that bone. We could have just done it in one, but I wanted to actually break it up into two because I, I like the smaller podcast. I, you know, I, I like something that doesn't go maybe more than an hour because to me, it's a little more digestible. You know what I mean? It, to me, it just seems like it's a, a little bit uh, easier when you don't have to break it up into several you know, increments. So uh, I had a great conversation with him last week. Uh, you know, he, he talked about getting into the business with no experience, having a problem being in the correct shot, uh, you know, whatnot. The worst night of production that he ever uh, experienced. This week, he's going to get into the Wrestle Rock Rumble, the Team Challenge series, being kayfabe by Vern, and uh, when King Kong and Bruiser Brody, King Kong Brody, you know, Bruiser Brody, same, uh, sided with him, Word Association, and a lot more. But before we get to that, do want to tell you. A uh, big shout out to our friends over at Soda Stick. It is the place, the number one place to go for you Minnesota sports themed novelty t shirts, hats, whatever you want. If you're a fan of the Vikings or the Timberwolves or the Wild or the Twins or the Old North Stars or pretty much anything you want that is Minnesota sports centric, check it out at sodastickco.com. Use the promo code UNLEASHED. You get 15% off your order. And as a matter of fact, if you guys are even interested in AWA Unleashed merchandise, we may be able to have something for you. Let me know. Let me know. At CM Tubbs on Twitter, you can hit us up in the comments. On YouTube, you can hit us up in the comments. Um, yeah, I'll hear on whatever device, whatever platform that you ingest this, this media. Or you can let us know on the Facebook pages as well. Uh, George Shire Wrestling Time Machine. Uh, Slick Mick Old School Wrestling, the uh, American Wrestling Association. Just a tons of different ways to, to get a hold of us. But if that's something that you guys are interested, let me know. Because then that's something that I think we might be able to make possible. But only if it's something uh, that you guys want. All right. Enough of me rambling on and on and telling you how awesome Soda Stick is. Somebody else that's awesome. Here he is. Part two, the conversation with Polish Joe Chupik. All right, uh, what do you, what do you got here, George? Well, other than that debacle, <laughs> which by the way, debacle—that's a word that I learned at Brown Institute, Joe. Oh, you went there too, George? Yes, I did, sir. Nice. I even graduated. Well, that makes that makes two of us. That's you know, we, we have All right. more well, debacle is a word I learned there. Is that Nick anyway. debacle? I'm sorry, what? Is that Nick debacle? No, oh. that's just, oh, that's just the debacle debacle. Oh, gotcha. Well done, Joe. Well done. I got it. Ba-boom. I hope you keep your day job. <laughs> All right. Okay, what you got aside here, George? from that, um, do, you, do you remember any particular um, incident where things went south in an angle or a match? And 
everything just went off the rails. Something that comes to mind for you, other than what you just talked about. Um, it's only an hour show, Joe. Yeah, I mean, there's one incident that I wouldn't say it completely went off of the rails because the talent at least knew how to cover, but there's one funny incident that happened in uh, at the showboat during a taping. Um, Mike Rotunda against Pretty Boy Doug Summers. Doug got body slammed and something appeared that didn't appear before the body slam. And that was a big old brown spot in his rear area. <laughs> Doug had shit his pants. Yeah, okay, thank you for correcting it. <laughs> And I wasn't sure where he was going with us. Something appeared. I'm like, whoa. <laughs> yeah, he, he had shit his pants. And again, he was a pro. They finished the match. I think they probably cut the match short. Um, well, I think it's I, safe to say the match was the shits, right? Uh, uh, yes, yes. Um, but they finished the match. It was slated for an ESPN main event. Um, you know, I had to go in and extend some replays uh, in the show earlier. But, you know, that's one that comes to mind as far as, you know, something happening during a match or during an angle where it fell apart. Um, again, not that it – there were so many instances, you know, talent would leave and it's like, what the hell did we do? Um, but that one pops to mind as very memorable for an unplanned situation in a match. And you know, it's interesting when you mentioned Doug Summers and we saw him with Buddy Rose and you were talking about that angle with the, with the Rockers. Um, I knew Doug Summers pretty well from the early years, way back in 1970 and had chances to even ride with him to spot shows back in the day when he was refing. He was a good kid, had a little wild side to him, but he was a good kid. And I really enjoyed those, those rocker matches when he was getting his push because he had worked a lot of years in the business, and this was big day for him, and so that was good. And I especially agree. for Buddy Rose, too. Joe, you know, it, it wasn't only Doug Summers. I mean, a lot of us were shitting our pants in those showboat days, if you remember. Damn it, Archie. Why are you saying Sean and Marty? Yeah, yeah that, that's, that's where you cost him millions of dollars, right? I mean, that's where, that's where you... Single-handedly put the AWA out of business. If Mick cost the AWA millions, then I'm in the tens of millions. That's a, that's right. So between Joe and I, you know, you can blame us for the demise. I'm going to move ahead here because while we're on the subject of memorable moments in the AWA that you, pal, were directly involved with, I want to talk about the infamous Wrestle Rock Rumble. Now, you either love that video you hate it you either laugh about it or you cry about it but just one more word for the former champ Vern. give us a little uh, a little synopsis of the uh, the wrestle rock rumble uh there he is there you, he is. Know, you know copied after the uh, super bowl shuffle uh, which had, you know, the Bears in 1986 uh, winning, you know, when they did that, winning the Super Bowl. Um, some of the guys on there could sing. Um, some should never stand behind a microphone, even in a drunk karaoke uh, uh, situation. <laughs> uh, 
Um, Vern was one of them. Um, Vern epitomizes um, the the old uh, stereotype of of um, some men don't have rhythm. Uh, <laughs> Vern, Vern could Vern could sing. He loved to sing and did it often. Vern is, shouldn't be rapping. You know what? Bachwinkle did a good job. He did. Do did a good job. Even Zabisco did a good job. I don't know about Greg. Greg was a little over the top. You know, I had flashbacks to his uh, um, Sergeant Slaughter, Greg Gagne days. Wow. You know, some things should never have been. That done. was only a step above Doink the Clown in the WWF. Uh, yeah, I, I, I agree. Um, but. Yeah, the Russell. I'm totally going to put that. In, by the way, post production, I'm totally going to put that song in here. Uh, <laughs> I, for what my opinion is worth, which is usually nothing, I think the Russell Rock Rumble was creative. I agree with you. Some of them shouldn't probably have had a microphone, but it was cute and it fit the mode. The only thing that ever bothered me about Russell Rock was where the hell was the Rock? We got Waylon Jennings. You know, Vern really lost it there. I think he was thinking of the wrestle rocking or rockers, you know? It, yeah, they're, they're, so I had started October 7th of 85. Wrestle Rock was April 20th of 86. And it was my first foray into uh, a big, huge event. And even at that time, uh, we laughed about it in, in production. Wrestle Rock? Really? Now, Russell, they, they ended up doing a few untelevised Wrestle Rocks. Uh, Denver, I think Salt Lake, and they had Molly Hatchet as one of the, the groups. That could pass for Wrestle Rock. Yeah. Not Waylon Jennings. Not Natalie uh, Rosales, who sang the national anthem. Um, God, there was somebody else from like the Prince genre of talent that was on there. I can't remember uh, the exact name, but it just. Uh, Joe, like, I think that all six people that were still there when Waylon was performing would probably disagree with you. You know? Well, th those six ushers would probably agree. Uh, you know, uh, you know, there were six and a half. Little Rick yeah. was there. <laughs> you know, uh, Russell Rock, in in hindsight, um, was a failure for for the build up. It never even came close to WrestleMania, which is what it was supposed to compete to. The Russell Rock Rumble, I enjoyed doing. It um, was, it, it definitely was fun. You know, I got. I'm sorry, Joe. Go ahead. Say, I mean, you know, even the office staff, we had cameos at the end where there's a bunch of quick clips. You know, we all just stood in front of the camera and, and, and did some shot. Um, I, I, I was happy and, quite frankly, proud to be a part of, of Wrestle Rock because it was the AWA, because it was Vern Gagne. And the funny thing about Wrestle Rock, it's the Rumble, it's still talked about today. It's almost like a, a cult. It is following for the video to this day. When somebody knows I'm introduced to somebody and uh, they find out that I work with the AWA, 
the Wrestle Rock and the Wrestle Rock Rumble comes yeah. up every single time. You know, well, Joe, what I th- oh, go ahead, Chris. Oh, I, I was just going to say, I, I wanted to transition because I had a question on something else that, um, but I mean, if you got a quick follow up here, George, well, I was just going to say the Wrestle Rock program or card, it was so great in concept in trying to maybe be equal or, or top WrestleMania. But I still to this day think that it was one time when more was not better. If they would have cut that card in half with matches and had Wrestle Rock really highlight and showcase the important matches instead of bringing in Bulldog Brown and Tiger Mask and, and, and a bunch of these people, it would have been so much more received. That was a classic wrong. A classic yeah. case of uh, Vern not being able to say no or not wanting to say no. A lot of these, uh, a lot of the talent contacted Vern about being on there. And before you knew it, Vern had said yes to too many people. And he had no choice at that point, really, but to uh, put them on the card, uh, sadly. Um, Giant Baba and, and, and uh, Bulldog Bob Brown. One of the worst wrestling matches match I've ever watched in my life. Oh, it was brutal. It it literally hurt to watch that match. Yeah. Uh, but was, again, that was a case of Vern just saying yes to too many people and not being able to back out. Speaking of things that are harmful and hurtful to watch, the Team Challenge series. Who was responsible for that? Because I, I know that I, I know it's something that that. That's one of my mm-hmm. memories because I started watching in 84, 85. So I didn't catch the heyday, but the team challenge series was something that, that I remember. And I know, you know, Mick and George, it's kind of a, not a sore spot, but I know that it's not something that they actually, you know, they look back fondly, but I mean, like who, how did the concept of that come about? So to explain the entire concept, you have to go back to a producer that Vern brought in, or that was a pro that approached Vern. Uh, his name was Nick, and I, I, for the life of me, I can't remember his last name, but it, his name was Nick, and he wanted to do something completely different uh, in professional wrestling. Um, the, the whole green screen with the talent walking out and, you know, whatever. Um, that failed miserably because it looked like crap. To, to use the same crowd and doing the same reactions for every talent walkout, whether it's a baby face or a heel and them booing or cheering, it didn't work. The whole idea of doing it in a closed studio and incorporating mm-hmm. the reactions from people was all a part of this new concept. Well, after the first episode was done, um, and, and I can still see them doing it. Jeez, Vern was like, what the hell did I just do? And so the AWA at that time was hurting even more and i believe it was greg that developed the whole team challenge series concept which you know at the time i was all up for trying to do something different the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and and hoping for a different result 
nothing was working for the AWA. So let's try something different. Uh, obviously, as we know, in hindsight, it wasn't successful. It, 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 to, to do a match in a closed studio and trying to pump in effective crowd noise mm-hmm. wasn't going to work. Could, could, could a different presentation have worked? I mean, could the, could the concept have worked with a different presentation? If you know, I thought about that, and if they would have maybe gone back to the old school studio approach, like you know, like uh, All Star Wrestling was as as George and Mick and I remember, mm-hmm. you know, going back into the '60s and '70s and having forty people in the studio, uh, that might have worked. To I think it would have provided a little more credibility because the. Uh, the, the crowd noise that we were pumping in uh, wasn't working and it just made it more laughable to watch. And we didn't have the technology that we had today. This was all still linear tape editing and trying to cut for money. We couldn't do a Foley sound effects that we really needed to do in order to even try to get that to work. So was there ever any thought to if you realized like in the moment that it was going to be bad in terms of the presentation and production, was there any thought to stopping it and starting over and then trying to approach it in a different way? Oh, it, it, it was surely discussed, but the AWA again was at a point where that was very near the end. It had already started and to start and stop the first attempt at the approach that Nick had developed and then to start and stop another one right after it was not going to look good to the viewer okay. at home. Okay. So it was basically riding out a, a bad idea and quite frankly, saving money from having to travel to a Las Vegas and hiring a full production crew. Uh, it, it w- we were able to minimize the production expenses and still provide a wrestling show, for better or for worse. The only good thing to come out of the Team Challenge series is that Jake Milliman became an overnight millionaire. Turkey on a pole. Turkey on a pole. Right up the turkeys wrecked them. You know? <laughs> they wrecked, wrecked them. Hell, it killed them. <laughs> I, I want to ask you, Joe, what was a typical taping day? Because I'm things like that really interest me. Like from the beginning to the end, like what, what was your day like? Um, I'll have to ask, define what taping day, a, a TV taping or an interview day? Uh, I think uh, mostly like a TV taping. Um, TV taping, we would leave uh, – the Twin Cities uh, on flight 777 to go to Las Vegas. At, we'd leave at 9.14. Um, we'd arrive in Vegas. I'd uh, go straight down to the truck, work on getting the graphics done for the truck, make sure everything got set up right, brought the tapes in there. Um, we had a great crew that set up every time, very professional crew. Uh, so no issues or concerns there. Um, then there'd be the uh, uh, booking meeting in the afternoon. Um, and then I would be the, the go between the truck and the, uh, uh, and the arena. 
uh, and we would tape 15 matches, um, three weeks worth of, of, of matches. And then some of the talent that uh, was not going to be there for interview days, which were typically a Tuesday or a Wednesday, um, if they weren't going to be there, we'd you know, get some interviews with them uh, ringside after mm-hmm. the matches and bring the tapes back to my room and then party with the boys for the next six, seven hours. That was a, a typical overview of a, of a television production taping day. Uh, of course, with Whitewater and, and other venues like that, there's a lot more many issues that we had to deal with. But that in its simplest explanation is a, a, a TV taping day. How long did post-production usually take on like a weekly episode? Uh, depends on the show. Um, so um, I... I was probably averaging about 60 hours a week, anywhere from five to seven days a week. So we, uh, if we did a taping in Vegas on a Saturday, um, we was there for 21 hours or uh, 22 hours. We'd leave at uh, seven o'clock in the morning to come back. I'd go and drop the tapes back off at the uh, at the office, and then on Monday I'd start getting all of the matches timed, all of the interviews timed, and into a format for uh, for the three different shows that we do. Then on Tuesday we uh, or Wednesday we'd have uh, interview day. That could uh, in the early days that would run anywhere from seven to twelve hours. Uh, all of the boys would be in the studio and we would cut interviews for every market for the general mm-hmm. show. And then on Wednesday, I'd insert those or I'd edit the matches or the shows together. Uh, once I had all the content, all star wrestling would take me probably three to four hours at the time. Um, okay. Superstars, we would then uh, do the ins and outs for Superstars and and the ESPN show with Larry. Uh, then I would cut that together um, on Wednesday and or Thursday. And then Thursday night, we'd go into dubs. We, at the uh, most busy, when we did dubs in-house, we had about 75 uh, uh, show dubs that we had to do. Uh, both wow. three-quarter and one-inch. Wow. And then Friday, get started all for next week. And, you know, weekends, we'd have a lot of, not a lot, but if we had a show at the Civic Center, you know, have to include that. In there. Wow. That was a typical yeah. production week. Okay. Uh, what did you have, George? Well, you know, Joe, we can tell everything you've talked to us about. You've, you obviously garnered a lot of respect from the the guys and and people you worked with. Um, I guess my question would be for you is, who was easier for you to work with, Greg or Vern, or was there somebody else that made it easier for you or made it tougher for you? Um, Between Vern and Greg, I would say Greg, simply because Vern kayfabe. Even on interview, I mean, Vern... Vern just kayfabed all of the time. And I, I have to add in, because it was Vern Gagne and because I grew up on Vern Gagne and was a fan of Vern Gagne, 
um, and being a 20 year old kid when I started in the business, um, there was that sense of intimidation of it being Vern Gagne and mm -hmm. being, he was who he was and he was in charge of the AWA. So Greg was more uh, approachable in that regard. Uh, in the later years, they were both fine when, when, we, when we revived uh, the AWA late in uh, or early 2000. They were both, actually, I, they were both equal, but it was still easier to work with Greg because Vern's dementia had started to come into play. Joe, to your point about Vern K. Fabing, uh, I remember specifically when you would have the production meetings, Rod Trongard and I, if we were doing play-by-play, -play, we did not, we weren't allowed in the production meetings because Vern wanted everything to with the announcers to be spontaneous. Mm -hmm. He wanted us to be surprised, so he wanted to make damn sure that we were going to come across as, wow, holy crap, without knowing in advance what was going to happen. And I can understand that point. The flip side of that is that Bruiser Brody always said, you got to at least smarten up the cameraman. You got to smarten up somebody or something is going to be missed here. But in retrospect, I understand what Vern was doing with Rod and I, you know, he wanted the spontaneity and the excitement and it is what it is. And I agree with you, Mick, the, the one, the one place where I'll disagree with is that by him doing that, to me shows that he didn't have the respect for your professional ability to be able to present it as he wants it. Good point. And it was a sense of Vern maintaining control uh, of, of another area, which, which he did. He liked to have his hands into most everything. Yes. You know, so, um, yeah. What I would say to, with regard to Vern on that, is I think that that proves to us exactly the old adage that these guys, it was ingrained in them in that era that you did not smarten up anybody. Mm. And, you know, even to the point sometimes of your own families, as weird as that seems. But I think it by the time you got into the business, Joe, and by that era, Obviously, it was no longer needed to do that type of thing. And again, Vern, I think it was just at the age where he couldn't let go of it or didn't know how to let go of it. Well, yeah, and, and, and as I alluded to earlier, the early wrestling days, it was mainly shot with a wide camera. Right. And so everything was able to be caught. So you didn't need to smarten up the camera operators mm -hmm. or the director for that matter. Sure. You know, they were able to react, but when when technology increased and it went from a one or a two camera shoot for wrestling yeah. to a, a, a four or more camera shoot, and you'd have close-ups and you'd have handheld cameras at ringside, you needed to smarten them up in order to make sure that whatever angle that you wanted to present at that time, you were able to get it. And most of the time we did, yeah, there were times where we would miss a spot and it's like we didn't know Vern. We couldn't. We can't read minds. You know, you you do the best. We did the best that we could with what we had, or in this case, what we didn't have. That was knowledge of the situation. Yeah. 
Before we get going here, uh, Joe, you want to play a little word association? We'll each give sure. you kind of, we'll rotate through some names and, and you just kind of give us a, a quick little synopsis of, of what you got. Sure. One sentence. One sentence. All right. Uh, I want to start uh, Nick Bockwinkle. One of my all-time favorites and one of the greatest in-ring performers ever. All right. Uh, George, go ahead. I'm going to have to throw out Jerry Blackwell. He's always been a unique character to me. One of the nicest men I've ever met in the business. Bruiser Brody. The scariest, most intimidating person I've ever been around, but turned out to be an absolutely nice guy to me. You know, I want to make a comment about Bruiser Brody when you say that, because when we went back, when, when Mick and I worked with Brody up in Winnipeg, you talk about being a nice guy and a guy who says, says smarten up people. Brody was mm -hmm. so good to both of us and he was open and that's, that's beautiful. Stan Hansen. Blind as a bat <laughs> and, a, and, a, and, a, and a Southern gentleman who didn't put up with any shit. Go ahead, George. Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to cost the AWA a million dollars, but I, I want to know what your opinion on the midnight rockers, Marty Janetti and Shawn Michaels. Um, two phenomenal performers who couldn't cut a promo in their early days and who at least one of them blew what could have been a fantastic career because of their out of the ring antics. You can say Marty Janetti, it's okay. Marty Janetti. Sean, yep. Sean straightened up, but the two of them together in the 80s, oh boy. <laughs> Next one up, Paul E. Dangerously. An incredible talent that could cut a promo as good as I've seen. Um, but the current version of Polly Dangerously ate three of the early versions of Polly Dangerously. <laughs> when I first saw him back on the air, I'm like, holy shit, Paul, come on, call, contact DDP and start doing some yoga. <laughs> I, I, Remember that cell phone that was the size of a car battery with an antenna that reached oh, yeah. cars? This thick? I mean, it, yeah. was, it was huge, and he ended up having a cordless phone a couple of times. But yeah. I will say this about Paul. Uh, we're about the same age. After every promo he would cut, he would come to me and ask me for any advice or how did it go. And Playboy Buddy Rose was another one who mm -hmm. always did that. I think somebody that still looks good at her age, and that's Medusa Michelli. <laughs> uh, Medusa. Uh, ran into her a few times. She was, to me, the first glamour gal um, in the AWA. Sherry as well, but Sherry was more of a wrestler. When Medusa started, wrestling and ring skills were not that good. But love, love Deuce, love Deuce. Ran into her a couple of years ago at a show up in uh, northern Minnesota, and it was great to see her again. All right, one more, George. What you got? Well, we've talked about him and mentioned his name, so I'm going to throw Greg Gagne out. 
talked to Greg Gagne often, um, a very underrated in-ring performer, could tell a story in the ring with the best of them. The only downside to Greg was he was small, but he knew it. And he was able to use that disadvantage of size by selling phenomenally. Couldn't have said it better as far as Greg is concerned. I got I got one more here. Kurt Hennig. Oh. oh God. Yeah, really. I will put Kurt Henning up against any talent, including Bobby Heenan, which for the record, Bobby Heenan to me is the single greatest all-around performer professional wrestling has ever seen. Wrestling, managing, color commentary, interviews. Kurt Henning, I will put in the same, I, I, if there was a group, I would put Kurt in the same thing. The, the later version of Kurt Henning, and I'm talking um, 86 and beyond, uh, my God, uh, as good as it got in the ring. And on a personal note, the ultimate river. Oh, he lived, he lived to rib, and everything <laughs> with Kurt Henning was a rib. Yeah. All right. Well, Joe, this has been fun. Uh, we're actually going to break this up into two episodes because, oh, yeah, sorry. I mean, there's just no, no, no. That that's great, though. I mean, this is this is the stuff that I think people, I think people want to hear, and it's things that they don't get a chance to hear often. And I mean, th this has been great, and you guys being able to to go back and kind of relive some of those, and and just I guess when you look back to to kind of put a bow on it, what how would you describe your career in the wrestling industry? Because I know you're still doing some, you know, uh, right now, but when you look back at your time in the AWA, I mean, how would you describe your run uh, with the promotion? Fortunately lucky. Um, the fact that I started as a 20 year old, um, seeing and working with so many talents that, I grew up watching and then to work hand in hand with them to put together a wrestling show. Um, I, I went from being in awe to uh, being a coworker and a cohort. It was that six year run uh, for the AWA. I, I, as long as my memory is still there, I still remember dates. I still remember. I, I remember things from that run like George does for for uh, results from wrestling matches. Uh, it was, uh, I, I will never forget it. And here it is 37 years later, and I'm still talking about it. Not because it's not as much that I want to, but the fans are still interested. And I, I can't yeah. tell you how many free cocktails I've gotten when I'm introduced to to somebody. One of my friends introduces me, and every time it ends up being, yeah, Joey used to produce the AWA. And if those people, if they knew the AWA, oh, God, I got free drinks for the next two hours. And as you can tell, I love to tell stories, and I'm not exactly an introvert. 
here's the here's the thing that Joe won't tell you. Mm-hmm. He actually went around and introduced himself to everybody and said I was a TV producer for the AWA. Nobody ever introduced him. He did it. <laughs> well, the one thing I never admit to people is that I know Mick Karch. Oh, don't don't ever, ever, ever. One thing I want to say real quick, uh, Chris and, and George and Joe. Joe, I think in listening to you, you kind of feel the same way that I do. I mean, we, we were there kind of towards the end of the run. Things weren't always smooth sailing, but it was still an absolute honor and a privilege to work not only with the AWA, but for Vern Gagne. If I can just uh, add one thing to that. First of all, I agree 100%. It was an honor. And it was an equal honor for me when in December of 99, when Greg called me about reviving the AWA library and to work with Vernon Greg again, uh, to do that, we started off with a series of 13 half hour shows on KMSP and that led into doing 24 AWA pay-per-views and that then led to the eventual sale of the AWA to the WWE at the time in March of 2003. And so Mick, when I messaged you, you know, you asked me if I was there to the very end. I was there for the very end of both times, both as a functional operating territory in, in November of 91, and then right on down to loading videotapes onto a truck for the WWF and waving goodbye to the tapes as they went. Mm. And, and I, I truly have an equal appreciation and fond memories of both of those. They're certainly different. Wasn't I mean, I worked with Nick and Greg and, and Vern uh, on the second run and all of the other talent on the first run. And the stories in them, I, 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 I'll never forget it. Absolutely love it. And it left uh, a, an incredible mark, not only in my life, but in my career. Well, Joe, I appreciate the time. This has been great. And uh, we'll, have to, we'll have to do it again down the line. I would love to. I might have a story or 12 in, in my pocket to share. Yeah, hey, Joe, I, let's do the North Pole some morning. Oh, I love it. Hey, then I can come over and finally see your collection. Do it. Let's do it. Sounds good. We might have to get Mark, Mick to come out of his cubby hole and we'll make it a threesome. Well, you'd have to drive over and get him. Uh, I, You know what? I, I, I would subject myself to that pain in order to do that for us. You know what? Screw both of you. Whoa, you wouldn't yeah. like it. You wouldn't enjoy it. Mwah. All right. Well, I, I mean, you talk Joe. about threesome, three thumbs and screwing and hey. let's, get straight to, let's just get straight to the trivia because this has gone, uh, this has gone off the rails uh, pretty quick. Uh, let's go ahead and get to our uh, trivia question here, guys. And um, Mick, go ahead and do the honors. Got an interesting trivia question. You know, all over the years, a lot of wrestlers also refereed for the AWA on occasion. So I'm going to give you five names of former wrestlers, one of which did not ever referee for the AWA. One of these things is not like the other. One of these things just doesn't belong. Wrestle Rock Rumble, you can't sing either. No. 
So here are the names, ladies and gentlemen, and you pick out the one man that did not ever referee for the AWA. Your names are Jack Pesek, Stan Crusher Kowalski, Bob Windham, who, of course, eventually became Black Jack Mulligan, mm-hmm. Jerry Saganovich, who, of course, turned into Jerry Sags of the Nasty Boys, and Pretty Boy Doug Summers. One of those gentlemen did not referee for the AWA. Tell me who it is mm-hmm. within the next 48 hours. And uh, there it is, guys. And uh, the date originally was uh, the 7th, but because this is going to be part two of our interview with Joe, uh, you've got until the 14th of April to get that to us uh, again. Well, not us. Um, George Shire, gsshirecomcast.net, or Karch at gmail.com. And um, just want to remind you guys as well that you can see in the upper right-hand corner, want to shout out once again to Soda Stick. If you're looking for Minnesota-centric sports merchandise, that's the only place to go, right? Yep, George is pointing at it right there. Use the promo code UNLEASH for 15% off. If you want something about the Stars, the Vikings, the Wolves, the Twins, the, the, the Gophers, anything, and just maybe we might have some AWA merchandise up there, some AWA Unleashed merchandise that uh, we may yeah, we may have that in the works. So go up there, use the promo code UNLEASHED, and uh, shout out to uh, Landon and Tom and, and everybody at Soda Stick, uh, SodaStickCO.com. Again, promo code Unleash, 15% off. So excited to have them on board. Guys, this, is, this has been fun. And um, I know that Joe's waiting in the wings once again. So let's sign off and uh, tell some more stories. Adios. Take care. There it is, part two of our conversation with Polish Joe Chupik. A lot of really great stuff. Yeah, I had to ask him about some of the production things that they did, you know, back in, I want to say the olden days. I mean, let's be honest, things just change, right? I mean, shit changes over time. You know, we've got different technology, but just a really good conversation with maybe somebody that if you weren't familiar with the name, hopefully uh, you can understand and and appreciate the stories that he told. Because I, I felt like when the idea of Joe coming on the show came up, I thought it would be a great idea because it's a different angle and a different way to hear things that maybe we don't normally hear and still some great stories about his interaction with a ton of talent and again Vern versus Greg just a, a whole bunch of different things so uh, again great stuff want to thank Joe uh, for his you know first time because I mean he gave us plenty of time hopefully you guys enjoyed it also want to thank our sponsors our uh, friends over at soda stick uh, soda stick is the number one place to go for your Minnesota sports theme novelty t-shirts hats whatever you want if you're a fan of the Vikings or the twins or the gophers or the wild or pretty much anything sports based check out sodastickco.com use the promo code unleashed for 15% off your order and if you guys are interested in some unleashed merchandise, you know, maybe a t-shirt, you know, something along those lines, just kind of thinking, you know, real basic right now. Let me know on Twitter at CM Tubbs, or you can hit us up uh, at AWA Unleashed on Twitter or on uh, Facebook at Slick Mick Old School Wrestling, George Shire Wrestling Time Machine, American Wrestling Association. There's a whole bunch of different ways that you can do it. So, uh, hey, I want to thank everybody. and Thank you guys so much for supporting the project. It, it means... A ton to us. I I know it might sound like we're continuing to put ourselves over, but it's putting you guys over. And 
thank you guys so much for wanting to hear the stories that we haven't heard. And some things we've never heard. So thank you guys so much for being along for the ride. It means the world to us. And we couldn't do it without your guys' support. And honest to God, that is a shoot. Could not do it without you guys. So thank you guys so much. Because me as a fan, I want to hear it just like you guys do. Mick and George are the ones with the information and the answers. I'm a fan just like you guys. And uh, let's just continue to relive some of the best days in the history of wrestling with the old American Wrestling Association. That'll do it for the show this week. For George, for Mick, I'm Chris. Until next week, so long, everybody. <laughs>